Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So good to see uh, Pastor Jared on the land that we are just purchasing in Zambia. So exciting. And uh, I spoke to Pastor Jared this week. Uh, he and Naveen are spending some time there, as you've been told earlier in the service. And um, I was speaking to Pastor Jared, and he was saying the land is so much bigger than it, than it looks on the video. The videos don't do it justice because we thought it was about the size of this block here, Winton Road. But actually, we have the block behind to Lincoln Lane. It's, it's more close to the size of the two blocks combined. So it's a really fantastic fantastic piece of land where they're going to be able to build a significant uh, auditorium and, and, and church facility like we have here, but also there'll be room in time to build a kids facility and other things on that land. So it's very, very exciting. How good's God, right? Because check this, I, we were saying to them, hey, what about parking? You know, because short term they can have some parking on the land, but as they develop and probably build other buildings, there may not be room for parking. They said, well, next door, the la- person who owns the block next door that's the same size is the worship leader uh, at church's mum. <laughs> <laughs> so their neighbour is the mum of the worship leader and she said, hey, you can use my land to park your cars for church. How good's God, hey? It's like he's got it sorted, he's got it covered and so that's just fantastic. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning on the raising of Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus. This is a passage in the Bible where Jesus raises someone from the dead. And so we're going to unpack that. And I believe God's got some things He's going to speak to us through it. And so it starts like this in John 11, verses 1 to 6. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So what it is, there's this crazy moment in the Bible where this this girl Mary breaks this oil, pours it upon Jesus' feet. And people were outraged at the time because it was about a year's salary, this oil. And she's saying, hey, this is an extravagant act of worship. She then lets down her hair and wipes his feet with her hair, which was outrageous for a woman to have let down their hair in a public setting like that, let alone to approach a man and wipe his feet, was outrageous. But so extravagant is her worship. And so much does God want us to break through religion and shake off religion, right, that he allows this powerful act of worship. So it's her brother who's dying. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. Don't you love that? The one you love is ill. God is interested in the one. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Huh? Listen to what I just said. He loves Lazarus, says it once. He then says it again, oh, I love both the sisters and Lazarus. And so when Lazarus is dying, what does Jesus do? Waits two days to go. What? What? Hang on, am I reading this right? Jesus loves him, he's for him, and yet he waits two days before he goes to help him. What's God saying through this? He's saying this, that we have our timing, but God has his. That when we're in a challenge or a crisis or a need, we think, hey God, I need you to move right now. 
I need you to move right now. But often God is saying, hey, I've got a bigger miracle I want to do. There's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger plan in this. I know you want me to move in the immediate, but actually my timing is better than yours. My time is beyond yours. And so there's a principle here that, that, that they were learning, that Lazarus and his sisters, the disciples were learning that actually we need to default to God's timing and God's will and God's way. You know, we often think we know the best outcome, but actually God's got a better outcome. Because here's the reality. They're thinking, mate, my brother's sick. My brother's sick. Man, you've got to heal him. He, he needs to, he needs, you need to rescue him, right? They're just thinking about themselves and their brother. Here's what God's thinking about. Hey, in 2,000 years from now, there's going to be some people in this place called Joondalup in Western Australia and someone's going to preach the word, this word to them and it's going to bring faith and life and blessing and breakthrough, you know. So all over the planet, people are hearing this message. This was so much bigger than them. So much bigger than them. And so when we're wanting God, when we're waiting on God to do something, we've got to understand, hey, God's time is so much bigger than our thinking. It's, God wants to do so much more than we can see in the natural, in the supernatural. There's so much more happening. And we need to get a hold of that God's wisdom and intellect is nothing like ours. And in fact, God can't even explain it to you. God can't make his intellect small enough that you and I can grasp it in our finite minds. You can't grasp the infinite with the finite, right? And so maybe when we go to heaven, we'll understand a bit more. But here's the reality. You won't even understand everything in heaven. Because unless you're God, you'll never understand the fullness of what God understands. And so we need to make a decision. Hey, I'm going to trust God's will over mine. I'm going to trust God's timing over mine. Because the Word of God says that God's working all things together for my good. If I'm in Christ and I love Him and I'm obedient to Him to the best of my ability, it says He's working all things for good. I need to trust that even when it doesn't look like it and when I can't understand it. Come on, because God's beyond the natural. He's beyond the way that I think. And you know, it's these times of waiting where you find out, do I really believe? Do I really trust God? It's in the times of waiting. You know, His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. You know, if you can't be happy while you're waiting, you're probably never going to be happy because most of life is waiting. Most of life is waiting. You know, if you're studying right now, you're waiting for a period of three years or maybe longer if you're studying medicine, you might be doing seven years or something. You're waiting seven years before you can say, I'm now a doctor. You know, a lot of life is waiting. Most of life is waiting. In our business, it's here, but I'm believing in for it to be here. You know, in my personal finance, I'm here, but I'm believing for it to be here. You know, we've got all kinds of things that we're waiting for. So if we can't be happy and content in the waiting, we're probably never going to be happy and content. We need to make a decision in life. Hey, God, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do the best job I can in my circumstance, but everything outside of my power, I'm giving it to you. All of my worries, all of my fears, all of my concerns, God, I'm trusting them to you because, God, I want to enjoy life to the full now. I don't want to be living a life of when, when, when. You know, I remember when I'm... I became a Christian at 25 and come from this real broken background of a drug addiction and God was really moving in my life and I kind of got to five years in, so I'm 30 now and I'm thinking, I'm ready for, to get married. You know, this is like, I wasn't into marriage before I became a Christian, but I came to church, saw great marriage, got energised about marriage, so yeah, I want that for my life. And you know what? It just seemed like any one of the opposite sex, I repelled them. 
you know, it was like women would just move away from me as I walked into crowds. You know, it was like, it was like I just, it just felt like, God, I feel like I'm ready for this, but it's like, this is not working for me. You know, I remember one time uh, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to invite you out, mate, double date. There's this awesome girl in church. I think she's, she's really cool. Love you to meet. I said, that'd be cool. Went out on this double date. I mean, it went so well. I just, this has gone so well. At the end of it, she goes, hey, can we chat after? I'm thinking, yes, you know, this is so good. Then we chatted, we went, chatted after, got together. And she said, hey, look, I just wanted to say I've had such a great night. I'm like, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. She goes, I just want you to know, I really see you as a friend. (laughs) Some cutting words right there. Hey, I'm like, yeah, 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 me too, me too. Yeah, yeah, crushed. My soul was crushed. But here's the deal. Do you know what was just a few years away? Leah, my wife now. Man, God had something so much better for me, but I had to wait I had to wait. And you know, the other thing was that the way God wanted to bring about this relationship was not the way I thought it should happen. I thought I'm going to meet someone in my church or in my area who's also from the UK. And you know, I had this whole kind of image of who this person should be. But God had a whole other agenda. He chosen someone from Australia, the other side of the world. He had a plan that through her, I would end up coming to Australia. He had all this much bigger plan, but I'm thinking I know how this should be done. You know, but my will is so inferior to God's superior will. You know, and I'm so grateful to God that I basically was able to trust Him enough and wait for Him enough to bring, you know, for the awesomeness to have Leah in my life, you know. And the reality is there is absolutely no way I would be who I am today if I hadn't married Leah. You know, it was, it was a God job. And here's the deal too. When I met Leah... You know, I met her through the internet. Now, the reality is now that isn't so bad, but back then it was weird. It was very weird. And uh, how I met her was she was at uh, a UWA and one of the, she did a triple major. And one of the things she was focusing on was anthropology. And so she was interviewing people about how they use the internet. And I was one of her subjects who she interviewed, right? And so, and that's how we first connected. Then we exchanged emails. We mentioned, I was on fire for God. I mentioned I was a Christian, told her a bit of my testimony. We exchanged emails and we wrote to each other for three years. We never shared a photo. This is pre-Facebook, baby. You could not Facebook stalk people. You know, and I didn't want to say, can I get your photo? Because it's creepy and weird. And so basically we just talked for three years, built friendship, built relationship. I didn't get enough time to put her off by looking at me. And so we then basically, you know, met and the rest history. The rest history. We need to wait for God's timing. We need to wait for God's timing. Not ours. God's timing is so much better than ours. Faith is tested in the waiting. You know, sometimes we have to endure and wait for God's timing on our miracle. Hebrews 5, 7, 9 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. Son though He was, He learned obedience from what He suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Wow. Wow. It's saying this, that Jesus went through some suffering. He went through some trials and some challenges. And those things prepared him for what God had for him. 
that Jesus was destined to be the Saviour of the world, to lay his life down for you and I, that we might come into a relationship with God, that the whole of humanity might be ushered in to a relationship with God, the potential of a relationship with God. And, And it says that how Jesus became ready to do that was through suffering and through trials. And so I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself that God is making us at times wait so that he might actually bring us through the trial rather than just delivering us from it. Hear what I'm saying? Sometimes God wants to bring you through the trial rather than just deliver you from it. I have seen people in church, they come to church and they'll say, I've had a cancer diagnosis. We pray, we anoint them with all, they're instantly healed. They come back the next week, I cannot believe it. You know, the cancer's gone, the doctor's shocked. It's just out there, it's it's crazy. It's this miracle, just move of the grace of God. And I see other people and they come and they say, hey, look, would would you pray for me? I've had this cancer diagnosis. You know what? They don't get the miracle breakthrough. They have to do through it. They go through a whole bunch of chemo and they go through a whole lot of trials and they go through a whole lot of challenges. And ultimately, often they will come through that. God will still heal them, but, it's, but it's, it's, they're going through. They're not getting delivered from. And listen, some people do not get healed, but they do in eternity. Hear what I'm saying? So not in this life, but ultimately in eternity. So ultimately we know, right, that ultimately for everyone in God, you're going to be completely healed. You're going to be living with God for eternity, right? You're going to be in a so much better place than planet Earth, right? But, but even in the, in the waiting, in the time that we are here, God is taking us through trials and challenges that we might be prepared to help others. Here's the deal. If you come to me and you're sick and I've got a testimony that, man, I just prayed and God healed me, that's great if that's your experience. But if that isn't your experience, I'm of no use to you. But if I've gone through... If I've gone through setback, challenge, hardship, I had to keep pushing in, had to keep trusting God, had to keep being faithful, right? Then when you're in that challenge, man, I'm life to you. Because I'm able to say to you, hey, I've been there and God brought me through and I'm going to walk with you through this. So sometimes you've got to go through some stuff. You've got to go through some stuff that you'd be ready. Jesus had to go through some stuff that he was ready to rescue the world, right? So you and I need to go through some stuff. It's interesting when you look at a job advert, often it will say experience required. Experience required. God's the same. God's saying, hey, I've got some jobs. I've got some purpose, some things for some people to do. But I need some experience. You've got to have gone through some stuff in order for me to better use you. You know, the reality is this. If my story was, hey, I used to be a heroin addict. I walked into church, bang, a ray of light hit me. I was delivered, got saved, never thought about drugs again. And my life's just gone like this, right? That would be a cool testimony, but I would not be a lot of use to people battling addiction. But that isn't my story. My story is I came into church. I, I gave my life to Jesus. He forgave me of my sins. And then bit by bit, it began to change me and transform me and heal me. But I had to be obedient. I had to work at it. I had to play my part. I had to trust God. I had to go again when I failed. I had to get up from a relapse and go again after God, you know? And so I want to, the, the, the challenge is what's given me the ability now to be of help to others. It's given me the ability to be of help to many, many people seeking recovery from addiction because I can look them in the eye and say, mate, I've absolutely been there, 100% get it. And I know how challenging it is, but listen, God can and he will bring you through if you trust him and you're obedient to him. God wants to use your challenge and your hardship to bring gold out of you that you would never find otherwise. You know, it's got to be dark to see the stars. Man, it's got to get real dark. The darker, the brighter. 
the darker the night, the brighter the stars. Man, God needs some believers who are willing to go through a bit of the dark, hey, to get through to the gold. You know, the next thing that happens in verse 11 to 16 is discouragement comes to Jesus. Listen to this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, I like the way he refers Thomas to Didymus, it's an easier name. And he said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And check this out. Jesus, right, is believing to raise someone from the dead, right? And he's speaking in faith. And he's in faith saying, he's just sleeping. And they're like, no, he's not just sleeping. If he's just sleeping, he'll wake up and go, all right, he's dead. But listen, I'm believing, I'm pushing into something here, right, to raise this person. Here's what Thomas says. Oh, here he goes again. Wants to now raise someone from the dead. He's going to get himself killed by the Jews. He's already getting a lot of heat, Jesus. And he's thinking, mate, now he's going to try raise someone from the dead. He goes, he's going to get us all killed. Well, may as well go and die with him. That's the attitude. That's the attitude. So Jesus is trying to push into something and he's got this most negative, critical person. Do you have a Thomas in your life? Do you have a Thomas in your life? You're trying to push into something. You're trying to believe for something. Well, here's the deal. I have a Thomas inside of me. I don't know about you. I have a Thomas inside of me. Everyone's got a bit of Thomas. You're trying to push into something and it's going, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. Blah, 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 blah. Sometimes we've got to say, stop it. I'm trusting Jesus. <laughs> I'm trusting. I'm trying to push into something supernatural here. I'm trying to push into a miracle here. And God will always ask us as believers at times to step into something supernatural, but it takes faith that doesn't look reasonable, doesn't look logical. You know, and um, I had a friend recently who said to me, Hey, I really feel like I've got a prophetic word for you. And what that means is a prophetic word means he believes that God gave him something that's for me. And I said, Oh, sure, I'd love to hear that. He said, Look, I really felt God say to me to say to you, Hey, beware of fear masquerading as wisdom. Beware of fear masquerading as wisdom. Sometimes God's going to ask you and I to do things that people around us are not going to get. They're going to say, that's not wise. Have you thought this through? You know, so often in, as a church, you know, we might be pushing into something in faith. So maybe it's believing for this building in the soccer. It's stepping out in financial faith. And you can have some accountants and other people around the table and they'll say, listen, you don't have the money to do this. I'm warning you right now, this is, could push you push us out on a limb as a church. You need, you've got salaries to pay. You really need to think about this. And you know what? They're 100% right. In the natural, they're 100% right. But there's times when you have to say, but you know what? We believe in God. Do you know what? I, I hear you. I hear you. But hey, God's spoken to us and we're going with that. You know, you don't see someone raised from the dead by going, hey, yeah, you know, think this through. Like, you know, the body's got to be reanimated. We don't really have the right medicine to do that. Actually, I don't even think it can actually happen. You know, if you thought it through, you wouldn't be doing it, people. You've got to step out into something supernatural. Sometimes you've got to trust God to look a little bit foolish. You know, when you think, man, if God doesn't show up, I'm going to look really stupid here. You know, there'll be times when he asks us to do that. Now, I want to be clear here. God's not asking us to throw away all wisdom. 
usually, you know, it's the natural first and the supernatural, right? So we need to be wise, we need to take counsel, we need to be prudent. But sometimes, sometimes God asks you to do something that's not rational, that's not logical, that doesn't line up with human wisdom. But we've got to trust God's will and, his, and be obedient to Him above that, hey? So that's the point that I'm making. The next verse, in verse 4, it says this, This illness will not end in death. This illness will not end in death. But Lazarus does die. He does die. So what's it saying? It's saying this, that ultimately if your faith and trust is in Jesus, you will, not, you will never die. <laughs> Here's what he's saying. If Lazarus dies now and doesn't rise from the dead, he still lives. In eternity, right, he lives with God, right? And so even if he doesn't get healed, even if I don't raise him from the dead, he still lives. Either way, he lives. And here's the deal for the believer. When you're at a believer's funeral and you're crying, you're not crying for them. You're crying for you. You're crying for you. Because they've gone to a far better place. Let me tell you, they're not crying. They're not crying. They're celebrating. We're crying because we've been left here. <laughs> you know, and without them, right? They're not crying, they're worshipping. And so Jesus is reminding us, hey, ultimately, everyone gets healed who's a believer. Ultimately, everyone's going to an eternity with God who's put faith in Christ. And He says, you may get victory and breakthrough in this life. Often you will. In this moment, we're going to see a glorious one. But sometimes it's the bigger, the broader, the bigger picture that we need to focus on. 33 to 35 says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And next is the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse and one of the saddest, Jesus wept. Now I've read commentators who have said that Jesus is weeping because of his love for Lazarus. But I don't think that's correct. I hold to a, a different type of interpretation here. Because here's the reality. Why would Jesus be weeping when He just said He's going to live? When He knows God's going to raise Him from the dead. And even if God doesn't raise Him from the dead, He's going to be in eternity with God, right? So, so I don't think He's weeping because Lazarus has died. It's like He's full of faith. I'm raising Him from the dead. And He does raise Him from the dead, right? So I don't think it's that. So why is He weeping? He's weeping because of the lack of faith in the disciples. That's why He's weeping. He's saying, hey, I'm just about to do an incredible miracle here that's going to bring glory to God. It's going to be preached all over the world for all time. This is a monumental moment, but none of them see it. None of them see it because they're all caught up in, oh, how's this going to work for us? We could get some heat off the Jews. Oh, you know, oh, we should have gone earlier. You're a bit late. You know, they're caught up in all of that and no one can actually see what God's doing. God wants us to be people who choose faith over fear to push through, to choose faith over fear. We need to trust God. We need to trust God. You know, and we need to enjoy our lives whilst God works out our problems. You know, the reality is, if you're waiting to have no problems before you enjoy life, you're never going to enjoy life. You know, I one day came into, I worked for the church and I came in one day and faced another problem. And I said, oh man, it's always, always problems. And then I felt God say to me, if there was no problems, you would have no job. Great point. Think about this. This goes for any job. If there was no problems, if there was nothing that needed to be done, you would not be needed. You would be released from your job. You would be sacked. The reason you have a job is to solve problems. 
You know, if you're a hairdresser, the problem is long hair. You've got to cut it, shape it, looks messy. You know, whatever your job is, you're solving problems, right? And so that's what we're here for. We're on planet Earth to solve problems. And so what we need to do is we need to be get good. We need to get good with trusting God in problems and in challenge. And we need to enjoy life in it. God wants you and I to enjoy everyday life, right? He wants you to be full of joy, not when you arrive somewhere, but in the journey of life where you're getting somewhere, right? And so we need to understand that. And there's always going to be problems. But if I'm obedient to God and I'm trusting God, God's going to actually take care of them. God's going to take care of them. And this is so important. We need to do what we can in the natural, but we need to give to God everything that we don't have control over. But so many of us spend so much time focusing on things that are beyond our control. We just need to do a good enough job and give the rest to God. We just need to do our best and give the rest to God. You know, And what do I mean by your best? I don't mean your perfectionistic, workaholic, obsessive, You because know, that's how I used to be. I used to work obsessively and like a workaholic and I'm neglecting my family. It doesn't mean that. It means a good enough job. I'm doing a good enough job that I'm still of service and love to my family and I've still got something else to give. I'm giving 80% at work, but I've got 20% at home. You know, I've got this balanced, you know, as much as that is possible, a balanced life, right? And that I'm doing my best in that regard, right? And the rest, I'm giving it to God. I'm giving it to God. And the Word of God promises, come on, the Word of God promises that every single believer who's obedient to Him, He's working all things for good. All the, he's taking care of all your problems. You know, so while we just do our best, we, we can give all the worries to God. God will work on your worries. God will work all of that stuff out. You know, I've been walking with God now over 20 years, 24 years, I think, nearly. And you know what? There hasn't been a problem yet that I haven't got past in Christ. Nothing yet. Same for you, hey? You got here today. Nothing's taken you out so far. You've, got it, you've, you've made it through every single challenge that's ever come to your life. You've made it through. Because God is going to take care of what you cannot control. He's going to look after the things that you can't. We need to cast our worries and cast our cares on Him. You know, the issue is that we carry things we shouldn't or the issue is we don't do the things that we should. You know, but if we're obedient, we're doing the bits we should, God will take care of the rest. 36, 37 says, Then the Jews said, See how He loved Him. But some of them said, Could not He who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. They're basically saying, why? Why? Jesus, why did you let him die? Jesus, why did I get sick? Jesus, why did I lose that job? Jesus, why was I misunderstood in that situation? Never got a chance to rectify it. God, why did I have that challenge in childhood? Hey, why did that abuse come to me at that time when, when I was totally... Why? We are so many whys. And you know what? God does not mind you asking Why? but he often won't give you an answer. So often, God, why, why, why? And that's what they're saying, why, why? And all that the scripture says in response is, hey, there's something bigger happening here. There's something, there's a bigger purpose in this. You know, and really what God's saying is, I can't explain it to you. you know, it's like my daughters, I can see, I've got a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. And, you know, sometimes they do this thing where they say, why? And you answer, and then they say, yeah, but why? Then you answer, and they say, why? And at about three, you're like, I've got nothing else for you. That's like God with us. It's like, I'm giving you my best answer. <laughs> there is nothing more to share with you. Not that you could grasp. Not that you could grasp. And so we need to make a decision, God, I'm trusting your goodness. 
I'm trusting the promise of your word that says you are for me, that you will never forsake me, that you're always gonna be with me. I've got to hold to the word of God above my circumstance. You know, imagine if we lived our life in a way where we 100% trusted God's promises. Wow, man, you'd live freer. Man, you'd live a lot more without worry. Your anxiety, our anxiety levels, my anxiety level would go from here to here. <laughs> you know, if I made a decision to really trust God and hold Him to His Word. Man, He's so good. He loves us so much. He's got so many good things for us. Just wants us to trust Him. Next verse says this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's going to be a bad odour for he has been in there four days. It's so interesting. This. So Jesus is just about to say, stand up. And this guy's going to come back to life who's dead, been dead four days, right? And yet Jesus says, could you move the stone? Like surely, right, Jesus could say, stone move. If His words have the authority to raise someone from life, from death to life, sure, His words could move a boulder, right? Or He could maybe do the old Jedi with His hand and just move it, right? He, he, he could do that, right? But He doesn't. He says, hey, you move the stone and I'll raise the dead thing to life. And, and they say, oh, we don't want to move the stone because it stinks in there. It stinks in there. You know, there's some things in our lives that stink, right? But, and God's like, hey, would you move the stone? Let me in because I'm going to raise that dead thing to life. And we go, oh, like it smells, like it looks manky. Like, I don't, you don't need to be looking in there, Jesus. Look at me on Sunday. <laughs> you know, I'm great Sunday morning, but don't look at how I behave with my wife and children at home behind closed doors. There's dead things, there's stinking things in our lives and God's saying, hey, would you move the stone? It's always a part that we have to play. There's always a part that we have to play. And what is it that the stone is hiding in your life? Some hidden sin, maybe something. Man, God just wants you to bring that thing out, crack that stone, let a bit of light in, let a safe person in, tell them what's really going on in you, right? Why? So you might get free. So you might get free. Or you're sick, you're sick, but you don't do any exercise and you only eat junk food. And you're saying, God, do the miracle. But God's like, look, I want to, I'm going to, but you've got to move the stone. You've got to play your part. I love this about God. God's like, hey, you do your part, I'll do mine. But I can't do mine till you do yours. God never lets you buck responsibility, hey. You always got to carry some responsibility for your life. I can't expect God to bless me in my ministry if I'm not loving and gracious to my wife and kids. You know what I'm saying? If I'm not doing it at home, I can't expect. What is it? Maybe maybe the stone is for you, it's some unforgiveness. You're wanting God to bless you in your life, but you're just carrying that, that unforgiveness to that person, that resentment. Man, would you bring it to God? Move the stone. Move the stone. Let God in. And you see what he can do. That thing that looks so dead and make man, he can bring that to life. He can turn, you know, tragedy into a testimony. He can turn a mess into a message. Come on, come on, he can, he can, you know. Over the years, I've seen countless addicts uh, come for help 
you know, and, uh, and, and they've come to me and said, hey man, you used to be a drug addict, and man, God's healed you. And I've said, hey, look, here's what I did, and here's his help, you know, God wants to help you, God can help you. Hey, the church is here to support you, but if you get real, tell people, let people in, people are gonna help you, man, they're gonna walk with you. There's a whole bunch of people in our church overcome addiction. There's gonna be a whole bunch of people gonna walk alongside with you, cheering you on. There's others, they've got no experience of addiction, but they've got faith for you. They're gonna pray for you. I say, hey, look, there's Tenacious House, and there's other organisations, there's Narcotics Anonymous, there's all these things to help you, right? And one person gets it and comes into a miracle breakthrough in their life, and someone else doesn't. They don't, it's all there. All the same resource, the loving God, a, a helpful church, a supportive community services. They've got, they've got all the same things, but they don't seize it. They don't take it. What's the difference? Is it, well, God loves that one, but not that one? No, it's not that at all. The same grace of God is extended to both people. What is it? One won't move the stone. One won't move the stone. One can't, can't see to move the stone. You know, that they're not willing to carry their part, their responsibility. You know, and I always know when breakthroughs coming to someone because I start to see they start to take some responsibility. They stop being a victim. They stop saying, this is what happened, that happened, it wasn't my fault. They start saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I've got to own it. And I've got to take it. I'm, I'm in a flipping mess. I need some help. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. They have the willingness to take on board the suggestions, the willingness to take on board the support, the willingness to be obedient to God. Man, they're like, goes like this, you know, and you're like, whoa, you know, incredible. We need to make a decision. God, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to move the stone. I'm going to let you, God, do what only you can do. And just finally, I want to just share this final thought with you. It says this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus breathes a breath, stands up and walks out of his tomb. A dead person comes to life. Wow. A one word of God, one word of God, a resurrection takes place. And then he comes out and in the next verse it says, remove his grave clothes. Remove, I don't know if we've got the verse here because I forgot to give it to the team. But basically, he, Jesus says, come out. And then he says, hey, remove the grave clothes. So he would have been wrapped in some kind of bandages and stuff. He's saying, hey, remove it, remove it, remove it. God wants you and I to be born again. You know, Lazarus, this is, he's getting born into a new life, right? God wants you to put your faith, your hope, you trust Him and be born again. It's a one-time deal. And the Bible talks about that when you put your faith in Jesus, you say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. It says that salvation comes into your life. Justification, which means just as if I never sinned. All of your sins, all of your wrongs are wiped away and you come into this personal relationship with God. Wow, wow. And then what happens is, you go through this process after justification that's called sanctification, which is this process where you now begin to be more and more changed and transformed and healed and you become more and more like Jesus. So for me, I'm this heroin addict. I'm at the end of the road. I'm suicidal. I'm in a mental hospital and I pray a simple prayer. God, would you come into my life? God, would you forgive me? God, I put my faith in you. Man, he forgave all my sins, shame lifted off me, the weight of guilt removed from me. I knew I'm going to heaven. 
But you know what? It would be possible for me to have only received that and never have come into victory. I could have been saved, but enslaved. Saved, it's possible. It's possible to put your faith in Christ, right? to believe upon Him and to be saved, but never come into the victory of who God purposes for you and I to be. Never come into that because we never go through the process of taking off the grave clothes. So we come out the grave, but we still got the grave clothes on. God wants us to be healed and transformed where we completely unwrap and take off that which is you know, hiding our true selves, that the real us would come out more and more. And listen, do you know how long that takes? Your whole life, your whole life. So you put your faith in Christ here and you start to change and transform. And I should think after five years, wow, this person's completely different. After 10 years, wow, they're really different. After 20 years, what? You used to be a heroine? I can't even believe that, bro. Would you did time in jail, mate? I never would have believed that to look at you. Hear what I'm saying? Because we should be going from glory to glory, from glory to glory is what God wants for us. I want to encourage you, I believe that spirituality, so true living faith, not religion, not religion, it's like walking up a down escalator. Right, so all the time you're walking, you're staying in the same place of growth. So you've got to actually put some effort in to be progressing, right? But if you stop, you don't stop and stay where you are, you go backwards. So for me, if I, if I say, man, all the work that God did in me of taking my great clothes happened in year one to five. And since then, I've just sat on that testimony. Man, I just be hearing that God set me free. If I just sat with that, I won't actually remain the same. I'm actually going backwards because God wants me to go from glory to glory, to be transformed, right? So my testimony shouldn't be 20 years old or even five years old or even two years old. But I should be saying this year, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more like Jesus now than I was a year ago. You know, I'm, I'm more healed now than I was a year ago. I see and understand more now than I did a year ago. God wants to take you and I from glory to glory. That's what real Christianity is. That's what true Christianity is. But what can happen is that we can get religious. We can have had a saving experience, but then we never let God take off the grave clothes and we just become religious. And we sit in church, but we're not changing. We're not being transformed. We're not being healed. And actually, we're going backwards bitterness and resentment and, and envy and jealousy is all coming back. It's all coming back and we're actually getting ensnared again. You may be saved, but you can be enslaved. God wants you and I to be completely free. Listen to this. Finally, it says, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Life to the full. Friend, God wants you to have life to the full, where you keep on each day experiencing more and more of the goodness of God, each year more and more of the grace and the mercy of God. And each year you can say, man, I know God better now than I did then. I'm not who I was. I'm not yet who I'm going to be, but I'm continuing to be changed by the grace and the power of God. Do you believe it? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online 
every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.